So today, as we uh, dig into Scripture, we're closing out this look that we've had at prayer, specifically this look we've had at the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> Scott knew I was blind and needed my readers. Uh, specifically, this look that we've been doing at the Lord's Prayer, which we prayed through again just a little bit ago. Um, we've talked about how we've been building this habit of prayer and how important it is to be intentional about prayer. You know, sometimes habits, as we've talked about, can just be routines that we do over and over and over again. That's actually the definition of habit, that you continue doing these things, but you don't have to think about them. Well, that's not a great way to pray, is it? If we go to God and don't think about it. So we've talked about how that habit of prayer isn't like our daily habits. It's really a holy habit where we need to be intentional about these things. That even when our prayers are unanswered, we want to be intentional about how we pray and respond to God. Way back in week one, we talked about success is not in what you're doing, it's why you're doing it. You'll never have success if you're just doing something to accomplish a task. Why are you doing it? So a very personal question for us to think about today as we open up this sermon. Why do you pray? Spend just a moment, think about it. No, no matter how often you pray, maybe it's... Maybe you're a prayer warrior who's praying every day, several times a day, or maybe it's rarely. Why do you pray? Looking back at, we've spoke about these elements that we all have in our life. We talked about how there's things that you have to do, and maybe that's what your prayer life centers around, what you have to do. These things that you have to accomplish. Maybe your prayer life is centered around your occupation because if you're going to have to do it you want some career advancement you want some financial advancement so you prayed about those things regularly that it's all about that or maybe it's academics maybe you're struggling in academics or maybe you really gotta make the A's or if you do any worse than that you're not succeeding in what you're trying to do so you pray about those things because your future hinges on those things or, or maybe it's just survival. Life's difficult, so we pray every day. Maybe you pray, God, just help me get through this day. And whatever you're dealing with, maybe it's because you hate your job, or maybe it's because you have rebellious kids, or maybe you have broken relationships, or maybe you're struggling financially, we pray, just, Lord, would you help us survive? And a lot of our prayer time centers on the things that we have to do, but a lot of our prayer life will center on the things that we want, our want-to-dos. You know, what are your desires in life? Does your prayer life center on those things? And maybe it's you want a relationship or you want marriage in your future. So you pray about those things because that's what you want. Uh, maybe it's you really want to have a great time with your family. So it's all about, God, would you provide for us so that we can travel and we can do all these things to make memories? Or maybe it's material possessions or maybe it's, finances, or maybe it's that you can have a great experience with your life. So there's nothing wrong with praying about your have-to-dos, and there's nothing wrong with praying about what you want in life, but hopefully it will circle back to what you were meant to do. Hopefully at some point you come back to, why has God got me on this planet? Why has He given me life? And we are praying that we can align ourselves with that. And we've talked about how 
are meant to do, why you are here, is to have a relationship with God. That's your purpose, to to know God, to have a relationship with other people in the church, that you are, are building each other up, as Scripture teaches us to do, that you are taking whatever God has provided you, gifts or material blessings, and you are stewarding those for the kingdom, and that ultimately you're using all of that to build His church, to build His kingdom. Hopefully it circles back to those things. So, the question that's kind of been overarching this whole series, who do you want to be? In a year from today, who do you want to be? Tomorrow, who do you want to be? Who do you really want to be? What do you really want your life to look like? Ultimately, who does God want you to be? And do those two things align? With this is what I want, this is what God wants from me, Does that align in your life or are they so far apart that they're not even in the same ballpark? That's something that your prayer life can begin to answer. Even when God's response isn't what you hoped or God's response is no, your prayer life should impact your faith. It should be something that is conforming you as you dig into Scripture and you're praying to your Father, conforming you into what He wants you to be. Here's a truth that we're going to settle on today. If your or my talk with God does little for my walk with God, if my prayer life does little for my faith life, it's probably all about me and not at all about Him. Does your prayer life begin to change you spiritually? Or are we just seeking our wants and our have-tos and our needs and not to align with God? Sometimes, as I've been in ministry, I've seen couples going to marriage counseling. And they'll share their frustrations back and forth in marriage counseling. And when it gets to that point, a lot of times they have no problem sharing their frustrations. He did that, she did that, they need to change, they need to do this, all those kind of things. They'll share those, but often it doesn't really change anything. There's no impact in the marriage. They'll they'll go through marriage counseling, and at the end it's like, we're still struggling, we're still going towards divorce, or we're still fighting all the time, all these kind of things. Why why is that? Because we want to change our spouse, but we don't want to change ourselves. We like to point out their issues, but we don't like to see our issues. So we don't seek to change, we seek to change them. And that's how our prayer life can be sometimes. We don't always seek for God to change us. We want to change His mind. We want Him to do the things we want, not for us to do what He wants. We're unwilling to change ourselves sometimes. We're unwilling to submit to those things. Our prayer life should always be leading us closer to what we are meant to do, and it requires in us humility and surrender in our life. We have to realize we're not all that. It's not all about us. It's all about Him, and we surrender ourselves to that calling. Now, if you're not a believer in this room, then it's all about you. 
You, you don't have a relationship with God. It should be all about you at that point. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, he should be changing your life. It should be all about who he is and what he desires. So we look back at the Lord's Prayer that we've been going through for these last few weeks. And in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, actually beginning in verse 9, it says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now some of your translations, if you're a King James reader, your translation has an addition there. When they translated the King James Version, they, they used the best manuscripts they had at the time. But they found older manuscripts since then, and, and the addition to verse 13 is not in those older manuscripts. So there's been this debate whether that should be taken out or whether it should be included. So maybe your Bible has a footnote of an addition, or maybe your Bible has it bracketed as it being an addition. Even with that debate, even if it's omitted in your Bible, there are biblical principles embedded in this that we want to focus on this morning. And that addition that we're going to read in just a second, it's actually a, ref a reference back to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. So whether it omits it or not, there are principles there that we want to talk about. And it says, as it closes, Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the power, forever. Amen. There's so much depth in that. How does that apply to our life when we think about that? Well, the first thing we have to realize is that your life is not about your kingdom. We don't often look at it that way. I mean, how many of us look at ourselves as kings and queens building our own kind of thing? But that's really what we're doing. We're, we're building our own kingdoms. When we only focus on building our wealth, or building our material possessions, or even building our families, it's all about our kingdom and not about His kingdom. Those can both coexist at the same time, but the primary objective is His kingdom. It's not about our kingdom. It's all about His kingdom. Some of us are exhausted. And it's so hard to pray because it's really all about your own kingdom building. All we think about is how we're going to get to the next step, how we're going to achieve the next thing, whether it's what college we want to go to or what job we want. We look at these things and it's all about our kingdom, not about His kingdom, and it just wears us out because we are not living in our purpose. And it's exhausting. We are building our own kingdom and not His. How do we go about building the kingdom? Matthew chapter 28. If you've been around church, you know this verse. This passage. Matthew 28, we know it is the Great Commission. And it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to you. Who? Jesus. All authority is His. 
It's His kingdom. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Build the kingdom. It's in our mission statement as a church. Go make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. It's kingdom building. Building His church. Are you using your gifts and your resources and your talents to build His kingdom or your kingdom? Are you building the church? Now, we read the Great Commission and it can be incredibly intimidating. You mean I've got to go talk to strangers and share the gospel? Yeah, that's what it says. I've got to teach somebody? I don't even know enough to teach myself. How am I going to go teach somebody else? So rather than making excuses, we should pray yours is the power. It's your kingdom, and how I'm going to accomplish what you've called me to do is in your power, not in my power. Your mission is not about your power. What you were called to do is not about you doing it. It's about God doing it through you. About using you to accomplish His purposes. Your mission is not about your power. The disciples were with Jesus after the resurrection for around 40 days. And then He left and they were alone. He wasn't there after the ascension for about 10 days. And during that time between when he left and the day of Pentecost, uh, they, apparently they weren't doing a whole lot except praying. They were gathered together just praying. They weren't out teaching. They weren't out preaching. They weren't out doing the Great Commission. At that point, it doesn't seem anyways. And then it gets to chapter 2 of the book of Acts, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place just kind of hanging out together. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were sitting there knowing Jesus, but they were powerless and now, at this moment, the church is empowered with the Holy Spirit. It manifests itself here in a very tangible way. And then they go out in power and begin to preach. And, and we see over in Acts chapter 4, verse 15, or verse 13, I apologize. As Peter and John are preaching, they're before the council at this point. They've been arrested because they're preaching. And it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. These guys were just normal people. They weren't the religious elite. They had the power of God within them. And the council, as they have arrested them, and they're looking, how can we do away with them? What can we do? They're amazed at their boldness, the power that's within them. 
And then if you remember, we talked about this a couple of times over the course of this series. They're released from prison and they know that, that they have it out for them. So they go back to the rest of the group. And in verse 29 and 31 through 31, as they are back with the rest of this group, their prayer is this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It was not their power, it was His. There is nothing special about these guys. I mean, they're special because they are anointed and set apart by God, but they're no different than you and me. These are just average Joes. These aren't people who, who were extremely smart, extremely gifted in their faith, extremely gifted in religion. They didn't know it all, but they knew Jesus was real, and all of a sudden they've got His power within them, and they can't shut up, and they are praying, God, don't protect us. Give us more boldness. Give us more power. Let us go out and do what you called us to do. And they did. They had God's power within. We have God's power within. So, so if we have that that's described in this passage within us, do you really believe He won't equip you to what He's called you to do? Do you really think, I don't know enough to make a disciple? They didn't know enough. Do you really think that He won't give you the courage and the words that you need to say? You have His power within you. The, the power we read about in Scripture that pulled Jesus out of the tomb is in you. That power that we read about in Scripture just now that fell upon these disciples and a very real experience for them. And maybe we don't experience it that way as often today as they saw then, but we certainly experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the moment you become a believer. His presence within you. And when you surrender you will experience some amazing wins in your life. Now, I'm not talking about your bank account blowing up. I'm talking about spiritual wins. You will experience those who you've prayed for and you've ministered to, you'll see some of them come to know Christ. Maybe not all of them, but you will see some of them. You will have wins in in that you know you had no, no hand in other than being the hands and feet of Christ. And that's the third thing we see in this addendum to the Lord's Prayer. Your success is not about your glory. You know, we have a group of people who come up here every week to lead us in worship. They put in tons of work to be able to do this. None of them, as far as I know, seek any applause. They would probably be fine if they had a curtain in front of them so nobody even had to see them. 
They do it for His glory. They don't do it for, for themselves at all. When we are in ministry, serving, whatever it may be for you, wherever He's placing you, wherever He's gifted you, we don't do it to seek the spotlight. But it is certainly gratifying when He uses your gifts for the kingdom. You may never stand on a stage. People may never know your name. But it is so fulfilling when you see the fruit that he, he uses you to accomplish. We never seek the spotlight. We always seek Him. For me, myself, my spiritual growth didn't take off until I began to surrender to serving. Uh, we were at a church in Knoxville out in Halls, Beaverdam Baptist Church years and years ago, uh, back in like 1999 or 2000. These right here have no idea how long ago that was. It was a long time ago. Some of you remember it. We just jumped into ministry. I began serving in youth ministry, and God began doing things. You know, I began seeing God at work through me and through others who were all working together. I mean, he gave me the ability at that time to not kill eighth grade boys. And that was a big deal for me because they're difficult if you've ever worked with eighth grade boys. And I had a group of about 10 of them every week. And they're as terrible as you think they might be. But then I look back at what, what we did in ministry at that point. I wasn't the youth pastor. I was just, I was volunteering. I was teaching a Sunday school class. I was there on Wednesday nights helping just doing those normal things. And I, I see I'm friends with some of those kids on Facebook now. They're dads. Some of them have been in the military, have served in, in combat, but they're following Jesus. They still have a testimony for God. Not all of them. Some of them went totally sideways, and we're still, I would still pray for them and hope that they'll find Jesus. But we get to experience those wins, and then you'll look back. I mean, gosh, that was... 24 years ago. I hate to admit that. That was a long time ago. And there's kids who are not kids anymore who are serving Jesus because they got the gospel, not just from me, but from a group of adults who are pouring into them every single week. Are you building the kingdom? Are you using your gifts and talents to build the kingdom. Philippians chapter 2. That is not Philippians chapter 2. That's Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by, being, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It's all about his kingdom. And you have that mind of Christ within you, that ability to be conformed to His image, to live your life the way that He lived His life. It's this change of 
what our motives are. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 23, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Not your king, not your master, your servant. We serve in order to find greatness. It's all about God's kingdom. I'm going to teach you a new word today. It's a foreign language word, so bear with me. It's this word, modnik. Everybody say that with me. Modnik. I'm not going to tell you what language that is. I'll tell you later. Modnik is a word that we're going to break down with each letter and talk about what this really means. This word, modnik, if you take the first and we apply it to what we're talking about today, it's, it's really... More is actually less in the kingdom of God. The, the way to become full in the kingdom and to accomplish purpose in the kingdom is to empty yourself and not to pursue your own success, but pursue the success of the kingdom. It's a totally backwards thing to, to think about that, that it's not about achieving more, it's about giving more of ourselves and our our, our resources to the kingdom. More is actually less, and the O is others first. You can never be about the kingdom. It's backwards. It's not about you. It's all about loving others first. Love them before yourself. Other people should get honor before we get honor. We should offer them honor before we seek the spotlight ourselves. Others always first. Jesus did that. Jesus went to the cross because he was putting us first. It's not like he was looking forward to this day. He was looking forward to winning, defeating death. He was not looking forward to the torture. He was not looking forward to the accusations, to the abandonment that he experienced. But he put others first. He put you first. Because it goes back to what we read in Philippians 2 that it's all about lowering ourselves into servanthood. We descend into greatness. We don't climb the ladder to greatness. You descend, you lower yourself into greatness in Christ's kingdom. It's the mindset that he shows us. We take the nature of a servant. Are you a servant? Do you give of yourself for other people? Not because it makes you feel good, because sometimes our motive's all about us. Do you give of yourself so that Jesus gets more known and that people are saved? When we look at this backwardsness, generosity should flow. Generosity of your time, generosity of your finances, generosity just flows. We, we just... When you're in God's kingdom, the backwardness of it, we just give. We see a need, we give. It's not about accumulation. Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. Generosity flows. The, the end is that it's not about us. Never speak, seek the spotlight. All attention, all accolades should be given to God. And it is inclusive. The I is 
inclusive. It is radically inclusive. So many people look at Christianity and see it as exclusive. In a way, it is. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not in the kingdom, you're not in the family, you are separated from God. But it's inclusive because anyone can get in the kingdom. If you're not in the kingdom, you can get in the kingdom today. By acknowledging God as your Savior, Christ as your Savior, by committing your life to following Him, surrendering to Him. That's what the K is. Our King is on a cross. He is our example. He was crucified on a cross as the ultimate display of servanthood and sacrifice and surrender for us to follow. That's why Jesus says, if you want to follow him, take up your cross daily. Meaning we kill our own desires, our own purposes, and make them all about Jesus. His kingdom. It is a backwards kingdom. Modnik flipped around is kingdom. It is a backwards kingdom, and that's what we're in. Upside down, backwards, however you want to look at it, his kingdom makes no sense to the world. But it makes total sense to his followers. If we really want to experience what we are meant to do, it requires that we rearrange our lives so that we give our very best to God. That He is our priority. Even when it comes in the way of your children's sports, or it comes in the way of, of taking that trip, or it comes in the way of being able to buy that new vehicle, none of those are bad things. My kids play sports. I bought a truck recently. But they are bad when it keeps you from being in Surrendered to the kingdom. We have to rearrange our lives so that the very best goes to Him. It is radical generosity even when it doesn't make sense. Even when you give to the point where you don't think you can cover your own needs, God does. It is immersing ourselves in teaching so that we are able to grow. That we take advantage of times when, when the elders of your church are teaching you. That we take advantage of times when others are teaching. That we even take advantage of, I mean, there's way better teachers and preachers than me out there that you can listen to on a podcast or watch a video. And we take advantage of those things. You live in a time right now where you have access to some of the greatest teaching that's ever existed. Take advantage of those things. Use those things to, to help you grow. We have to surround ourselves with other believers. Is this your church just on Sundays? Or are you a part of what God is doing here at Northview Church? Are you investing in the lives of others in this congregation? We have to surrender our time. We have to surrender our gifts and use them for the mission. I don't want all of y'all up here singing. I've stood next to some of you, Scott Blair, in worship. 
You, Scott will never have a microphone, but he's a great drummer. Not as good as me, but he's a great drummer. He agrees with me. No, he's not going to fight with me. Are you, what are your gifts? Are you using them for the kingdom? What's your talent? What do you love to do? Are you doing it for the kingdom or for yourself? But if, if all those things aren't bathed in prayer, then we're just spinning our wheels. It has to be in this relationship, seeking His guidance with all of it. Many of you faithfully serve. There's some, a part of our church, who serve every week. You are involved in so many different areas. There's a lot of you who serve, but it's sparingly. You know, you give of your time here, you give of your time there, but it's few and far between. There's a lot that don't serve at all. And maybe you don't look at it as being all about your kingdom. If you aren't giving of yourself to the building of the church, you are not living out what you were meant to do. Your purpose is to give Him glory. Your mission, what you're meant to do, is to build His church. Every Sunday, they give me a, an attendance count just so we can kind of track and make plans and see trends as we plan things in the future. Just about every Sunday, a third of the people on this campus are in the back. If there's 60 people out here, there's usually 30 or so in the back. Kids and some adults pouring into those kids every single week. I'll be honest, we desperately need help back there. Like desperately. Like we had to stop doing a class because we had nobody to fill it. That being said, we don't want all of you in children's ministry. You know, if children are not your gift, you don't need to be back there. It's just going to be detrimental to the ministry. But if you love kids, even if you've never taught, step up. We need your help desperately. There's so many other areas like that that we need you. We need you to serve on Go Saturdays. Those Saturdays where we go into the community and sometimes it's projects here at the church just to be so we're ready for the community. Sometimes it's going out and walking through a neighborhood and praying over that neighborhood and handing them a card, not even inviting them to church, just saying, we prayed for you today. Sometimes it's going to one of our ministry partners like Isaiah 117 and helping them organize their supplies. There's all kinds of different things that Go Saturdays look like. We need you to be a part of those. We are looking at our first mission trip as a church. We need you to be a part of it. We're looking at a partnership with a missionary in Panama. We need you to be a part of that. To pour into this partnership with them while they're reaching this community in Panama. 
We need you. But the reality is, more than we need it, you need it. Because if you're just showing up to church on Sunday mornings, everything we've talked about for these last few weeks in regards to a prayer life, it doesn't really affect you because you are not pouring into building His kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Will you commit to serving? Once a month, twice a month, maybe in the children's ministry? I don't know if they need more help in the sound booth or not, but maybe back there, maybe just greeting people when they walk in, maybe going on this mission trip that we're looking at with us. How about showing up to a Go Saturday? We do them like six times a year. It's not wearing us out. But you'll never find your meant to do. You'll never find your purpose. You'll never be on mission if you don't know Jesus. Nothing else matters. Do you know him? Do you know him as your Savior? Have you committed your life to following Jesus? Have you recognized that you are someone who needs a Savior? Because we are all broken. We are all sinners. And he is the only one who can restore us to God. Nothing matters if you haven't done that. If you haven't done that, you can do that this morning by just asking him to be your Savior. Just praying a prayer, I am surrendering to you. I acknowledge who you are. Would you be my Lord? If you bow your heads as we close this morning, the band's going to make their way back up. And as they move, that's the two questions I have. Will you commit to serving? And if you will, you can fill out one of those cards in the front of your seat or the back of the seat that says, I'm stepping up. And we'll talk to you about what that looks like. Will you commit to serving? Will you commit to using your talents for the kingdom? Will you, if you've not, will you take the step to follow Jesus? As the band plays this morning, would you respond to how he leads you today? Up here on the front row, you'll see Tina. Tina's up here to pray with you. I'll be up here to pray with you if you'd like me to as well. This is your opportunity to respond to how God's leading. Father in heaven, as we come to you today, we recognize our need to surrender to your kingdom, to build your church. So Lord, I pray over each person in this room and even those who are joining us this morning online, I pray, Lord, that if we aren't serving, that you are showing us the need, not just for the church, but for our own spiritual growth. And Lord, that we would surrender to you today and serve somewhere to build your church. Lord, I pray for those in this room this morning who don't know you. And Father, that if you would move them this morning, stir their hearts, if you are drawing them to you, 
that you would give them the courage to surrender to you. That they would move and come talk to Tina or to me this morning. And for those in this room who just need prayer, that they would come and speak with Tina this morning. The altar is open. It's all about you. It's all about Jesus. It is for him, for your glory, in his name. Amen.